And uh, as part of this series that we're going to be looking at over the coming month, we're looking at a series, Is That You, Lord? And so I've asked Adam, Tony Pantel's going to come back, uh, Rachel's going to be sharing a message in this series as well, just talking about the journey of faith. What is God doing? Taking an opportunity to share and update how we're discerning God's will in this time and, and how things are going for us. And I'm sure you're going to love hearing from them um, as they, they share what God has been doing particularly in their life. Um, we're going to have little emphases here and there on biblical characters. So today I'll be talking about Joseph. It's not because I'm saying that I believe I am Joseph, but I've learned a lot from the life of Joseph. And so each one will be sharing uh, how they have been inspired by these amazing men and women of God that they find in scriptures and how that's keeping them courageous today. Because we all have a, a life journey that we're on. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about um, having hope in, a, in the middle of a difficult season or time or time of change. And all of us will need to go to the Scriptures to dig into how God has worked through the lives of people so that we ourselves can gain strength for the path that is ahead of us. Um, and also, one other benefit is I get to share a little bit about me, so you get a little bit more accustomed to who I am and what I bring. And it's going to be a great journey of getting to know one another. Looking forward to flat white, no sugar, or sparkling water. If ever you're wondering, what does Gabe want? That's what I want. But we'll get to spend time uh, enjoying that flat white or cup of tea or whatever together outside later on over the years, uh, months and years as we get to know one another. And um, it'll be great to hear your stories because I'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So my title this morning, Choosing the Low Road. Is that you, Lord, choosing the low road? Let me start with a question. Does anyone here desire greatness? A couple of people. I know you thinking, is it a trick question? Preachers always use trick questions, and um, that's not a trick question today. Does anyone desire greatness? I mean, we don't get to have the best rugby nation in the world uh, if greatness isn't a part of the dream of how we're raised. And I'm talking about England this morning. I know it's still a little bit too soon. It's two years ago. I will pray for healing for you if you need healing. I know, I'm joking. You guys have got the best rugby team in the world. You don't get to be the best rugby team in the world by having small vision or dreaming small. There's greatness that exists there. Um, but for some, uh, it's really plain that you desire greatness, even perhaps if you don't know it yet. You're on the journey, but you haven't called it out as greatness. Those of you who are studying, you know, studying and investing in your future is preparing for greatness. Whether you're still in high school or you're doing a degree or doing a postgrad, um, some of you have got into the workspace and you're uh, trying to climb that corporate ladder or you're getting, uh, putting your hand up for much more responsibility. Some of you aren't quite there yet, so you want to have the biggest social media platform available. Some of you have just decided that you want to be the ultimate tracksuit, sweats, keyboard warrior. You're the one that's out there. You want to be the best troll. No, you, but you want to be a commentator. You want to be engaging in, in things. Or some of you just want to be the greatest COD champion. Whatever it is, your thing is your thing. Greatness is part of who we are called to be. And for some people, we might not be willing to call that out up front. Uh, but hang around long enough and you'll see it. You'll see the competitive heart. You will see that desire and joy that comes with achievement. You will see the freedom that comes with recognizing that someone has achieved something brilliant, and even if it's to be the most feared person on the street. But what I want to encourage you with is as we journey towards greatness, 
to get around people who will encourage and challenge us in the greatness that God has put in us. Because greatness is not just a good thing, it's a God thing. When we seek to fulfill our purpose, we're saying, God, I believe that you put something in me to get to imitate you, to get to lay hold of you by faith, to get to pursue you with all that you are. And I want to be engaged in pursuing who you are, God, for me. I know that sometimes uh, we might come into church and we might be a bit uncomfortable about this kind of a message. First up, you may be wondering, is Gabe going to give us one of this, those encourage, um, what, what's the word? Motivational talks. Is that what I'm about? A little bit. We might be saying, well, I'm a Kiwi though, Gabe. You need to get with the culture. We don't do greatness. We do national greatness, but we don't do individual greatness because, you know, chop those tall poppies down. And can a Christian Kiwi be great? Are we allowed to think like that? I want to bring you to the point where not only do you desire that for yourself, but you want to encourage others into it. I want to see you encouraging other people into the greatness that God has put inside of them. I mean, imagine what it would look like when every single member of the church is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's expressed in the way that we live. The greatest loving mothers and fathers, the boss that everyone wants to work for. I'm just sowing a seed with the team here, right? One day they will love working for me. Right now it's by faith, but one day it will be true. The picture of physical health might be your goal, whether you're lifting heavy or running lean. You might want to be an all-black and have given up the rugby dream, but what about being the all-black of the engineers or doctors or inventors coming up with cures for cancer or transforming the world in which we live, creating things that are you know, real uh, sustainable for the future? All of us are called to do something great, bring something great that literally transforms the lives of those around us, even if it is our, just our family to be a blessing to our family, to support the kid or the cousin or the nephew or the niece that is in our wider whānau that we know needs our love and support, just serving them and lifting them and encouraging them. Greatness is for every single one of us. The only thing is that greatness in the kingdom of God is not achieved by applying the principles of this world. We don't get to the top by putting other people down. We don't play games and scheme to make our way forward in this life. We don't try to make ourselves look good and talk good, but not actually act good. At the center of Jesus' teaching and lifestyle is the idea that servanthood is a key cultivated nature of someone who belongs to the kingdom of heaven. In Mark 9, it says this in verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? but they kept silent. But on the way, they had argued with one another, who was the greatest? Can you imagine? Jesus' disciples, these guys are supposed to be the Holy Twelve. And what are they doing when they're walking down the street? They're not like, wow, did you see that guy get out of the wheelchair? Did you see that dead person come back to life? Did you see that guy who wasn't healing or that lady that had a problem for 12 years? Did you see how God healed them? Nope, they're not talking about any of that. They're talking about, I'm James Me, that's John there. Mom's told us, ask Jesus, can I sit on your right hand, your left hand? We are going to be the greatest. Peter's coming in. What are you two boys talking about? I'm the one that's got all the words to say. Even if I say the wrong thing, I'm the leader. And then others coming in with their different perspective about how they're going to be the greatest. 
It seems that greatness is part of our conversation. And Jesus sits down and calls the 12, and He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Same sentiments echoed in Matthew 23, verse 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus didn't rebuke them for desiring greatness. He didn't say, listen, Christians aren't supposed to think in great terms. He didn't say, Jesus, Christians are supposed to be the most average, boring, wearing the same clothes, sandal-wearing, kind of funny people. He didn't say that. He said, if you desire greatness, if you want to do something with your life, get your motive straight, get your nature straight, desire to be a servant first. Because in being a servant, we get opened up before us the opportunity to live out what God has called us to. That's part of godly ambition. I'm an ambitious guy. I've always been an ambitious guy. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story as, as others, uh, as, as we talked to Joseph as well, of how God has shaped that ambition, hopefully, to be more servant-orientated than I was before. Greatness isn't, uh, in the kingdom, is not about your genetic disposition. Greatness isn't about your social class, what school you went to, what degree you got, not even about the money you've made for yourself or the reputation you've got at work. Greatness in the kingdom is achieved by opening your eyes to see the need right in front of you and choosing to do something about it every day because someone else's need is more as, as important as your own. There's true meaning that's added to who we are and all we've done when we add to that the disposition or move in that from the disposition of being a servant. It's a nature that we grow in day by day. So this morning, I want to bring you to the place of choice, that you would reach for greatness in your life is part of who we are made to be. But building with gold today can become sand tomorrow if we don't make a choice to put servant-heartedness at the core of how we live. I don't want you to get from today's message, okay, servanthood is important. I get it. I don't want you to stop there because that's part of our problem. We're smart people. We get educated and we think because we've understood an idea that that's the same as living it. Very different when you start to live out the Christian principle of being a servant. So let me say this. Being a servant is not an age and stage thing. It's not like it sits between 18 and 25. You know, you've just moved home and you have to start caring for yourself, doing your own laundry, doing your own cooking, doing your own stuff. I know some parents in the house are already like, can you please bring that age forward to 12? Can they start looking after themselves early because the house is a mess? My house is consistently a mess. I'm, I am dreading getting ready for our open home. Like, we'll have to get the house ready and then go to church and then come back. Do you know how much cleaning that's going to require? Anyway... It's not a stage thing. So then, the, 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 you know, it's not the years that you engage in after you finish uni. It's not the internship that you just got awarded that you're like, you really want me to do this for free? How many years? One year? Two years? Three years? Four years? Oh, it's not getting to the point where you've just been promoted high enough so that you can now kick the dog. Servanthood is about who we become while we're on the journey with Jesus through this life. It is an absorbing or 
digesting or a, a manifestation of the servant nature in your life through a series of intentional discipleship choices. And perhaps the youngest generation might be the people that I'm speaking to this morning, but a lot of us need to con- connect with this idea of service. You know, I've been really humbled. Every time we come to Dunedin, we're staying with families, not in a hotel or anything like that. We're staying with families who take time out to feed us, room us, look after us, look after our kids. And it's really humbling because the kinds of people that have been looking after us have been people that are older than me. And I've been thinking, wow, I should be serving you, not you serving me. It's humbling. But that fragrance that comes through their life of servitude and desiring to be a blessing to someone else is incredible and something we're all called to learn from. Um, So, I wanted to just have a little think about how would Jesus' teaching maybe have affected Joseph's journey through his own situation? Would it have made it easier if Joseph were to understand that the training period that God took him through was about preparing him to be the man that God had intended him to be? Would it have helped him make sense of the service that he had to engage in to then be fruitful in the life that God had for him? There's a great book on this, Tony Stoltzfus's uh, The Calling Journey. You can check it out if you'd like. But let me give you a summary of Joseph's life. Genesis 37 to 50. So Joseph is daddy's favorite. Now, it's unusual that he's daddy's favorite because he's number 11 out of 12 kids, 12 boys. And he's the one with the fashionable jacket. He's the one that is singled out by dad. This guy is my favorite son. In a sense, the love that his parents showered on him prepared him to expect greatness. They prepared him to expect that he was going to do something great with his life. But he just went a little bit too far. Now, we can't blame him because it was a dream. He had these dreams where his family and his parents particularly included were bowing down to him. And where Joseph showed his stupid for everyone was that he told them about it. Hey, mom and dad, guess what? You're going to bow down to me. (laughs) I'm sure... If he had a good Samoan dad, bang. It's illegal, right? Sorry. Um, but I remember what that's like. I remember what it's like to have that bravado about yourself. You know, particularly uh, for me, it was an interesting one because I'd been raised a good Christian boy in church up until the age of 18. Then some family dynamics happened. So from 18 to 23, I was living out in the world. At University of Nottingham, any of you heard of the University of Nottingham? There's no good reason for you to, apart from Robin Hood. But the campus university model is dangerous in the UK. Why? Because they had 14 bars on campus. Imagine crazy students in a safe, walled environment with 14 bars to go to. So, of course, they came up with the Campus 14. You had to have a beer in every pub in the course of a night. 14 beers. So, being stupid, every week. Then a couple of times a week, then whenever we felt like it. I would be out there drinking, getting stupid, having lots of fights, all of that stuff. And I went from being a, should have been a first class degree, maybe a high merit after, I ended up passing my degree by 1%. 1%. My parents were so mad at me. And so I went off on, uh, carried on doing things. I was trying to be a snowboarder, so I was all cool, and I broke my wrist off a little jump that big. And, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff was going on. So basically, I mashed my life up. And then I rededicated my life to Jesus. And I can tell you, within two, three months, 
I'm walking around church like, I'm the man, me. God has restored me. God saved me. I know what I'm doing. I'm called of God. I've got a destiny before me. I'm going to do great things for Jesus. And people look at me like, what's this guy on about? Is he tripping? It's only been a couple of months. Um, anyway, back to Joseph. Joseph is uh, in a situation where he told his family that they're going to bow down to him. And then they get so mad at him that they conspire against him and they fake his death and tell his dad he's being killed by wild animals. And Joseph finds himself on a whole journey where he's been taken out of the place of comfort and he's been placed in a place of difficulty. He's sold as a servant to Potiphar. He's then serving in his house. He's faithful, but he sees himself getting promoted until Potiphar's wife comes and wants to have an affair with him. And then he freaks out and runs away. Good thing he ran away. She seems to still have hold of his clothes, but he ran away. And goes through that journey, finds himself in prison. And in prison, he's like, God, am I now in the bottom? Am I now lost forever? And then again, he gets promoted within the context of prison to the point of looking after all the other prisoners. And then eventually, he comes to a place where he's invited before Pharaoh. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and he gets charged as a result with the highest authority in the land next to the king himself. And soon after that, he gets reunited with his brothers. He builds a legacy where the people of Israel are saved and go on to become the people that we read about in the scriptures. Now, that was a real whistle-stop tour. Um, so I know that, you know, we could spend two months, we could spend two or three months easy talking about the life of Joseph. So I've given you the five-minute version. Um, not promising this will be a five-minute message, by the way, but five-minute version. And Genesis 50, we find Joseph's summation of his whole time of trial. He says to his brothers, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Every one of us is on a journey. I have the privilege of the mic today, but each one of you are experiencing and journeying with God, and He's doing different things in your life. He's bringing about different circumstances, different trials, things that perhaps we don't understand, things that perhaps make us feel we're out of alignment with God's purposes. You know, there's the life plan that we're told we're supposed to accept, 18 to 21, first degree, then do some sort of postdoctorate if you're in Dunedin. You know, everyone's got a doctor, doctor this, doctor that, professor that, professor that. You know, it's part of the journey, right? And then by 25, if you've not met your life partner, then... And you've got to have kids by the time you're 30. Can I just say, I didn't meet Rebecca till I was 32, Oh, we got married at 32. We didn't start having kids till we're 34, and we've got three now. And it's crazy because we've got three kids. And I'm turning 40 in two weeks, by the way. So just remember my birthday. Um, but, you know, it's possible. The time, forget the timeline. But we've, we think a timeline, and this is what we've got to do by these stages. And you might be like, but this incident has taken me off the timeline. What am I going to do? Am I, am I ever going to recover? And I want to share with you that God has a plan. If you're walking with him, he's got a plan. So my first encouragement to you this morning is choose service. Choose service. Now with Joseph, he had no choice. He was sold into slavery. We don't need to be sold into slavery to make a choice to serve people in the way that we're serving Jesus. We serve Jesus to then serve people. If you get presented with an option, I want to encourage you to become someone that chooses service. I mean bond servant style service, that you want to be there. 
You're not doing it because you're paid. You're not doing it because you're forced. You're doing it because you made a choice, because you prize getting to be like Jesus in your heart. Now, for some of us, it might be bad decisions. I had a bad decision, got a 51% on my degree, so I had to go back and start at the bottom. But maybe other people, you might be here and you're thinking, well, to get to that place in this company, I need to start at the bottom, and you're making that sacrifice. For others, you're like, for me to get successful in my studying, uh, studying career, I need to do this internship. It's going to look real good on my CV. But wherever you are, choose service. Because Joseph's training period began when he was sold into slavery. It didn't begin when he was gifted and anointed and called the favorite son. It was when he chose to enter this slavery, this servanthood, in his case, against his will. And it was in reflection that Joseph realized that the rough beginning and season he went through brought him to a place where he was the man that God could use for the purpose that he had for him. So, um, I mentioned a little bit of my own story before that I was this guy that was running around church and, you know, real proud all of a sudden. And then um, I, I got faced with a few challenges. So, first one was this. My pastor came to me and was like, Gabe, been in the church a couple of months now do you feel welcome when you come to church? I was like, yeah, no, I don't. Uh, people ignore you. You could sit in church. You could come to church every week and people not ever talk to you. You could um, come in and smile at someone and they would ignore you. You could have someone literally close the door so that you have to open yourself. You know, there would be all sorts of things happen. I don't feel welcome. So he said to me, Gabe, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, what do you mean? What am I going to do about it? I'm new to this church. What about all these other people, these sour-faced people? Get them to come and stand and open the door. Why should I do it? They've been here for years. I've just been here for two months. He's like, okay, you're going to do something about welcome in this church. I was like, okay, all right. So what I did was stand on the door and open the door for people. And it turned out there was 18 months, four Sundays I didn't do in that whole period. Every week we were there early, like 45 minutes before service, opening the door. I started out not being able to remember anyone's name. I'm still going to be taking some time with your names, but I will get there. I will know your names within a year, in Jesus' name. Maybe six months. Should we make a bet? Anyway, um, so I'd be standing, and I'd be like, hi. And then I got to the point where I could remember 300 people, first name, surname. I freaked out Kathy Tucker when I was like, hey, Kathy Tucker, second time I saw her. She's like, what? How do you know my name? Surname as well. I was like, yep, sorry, it's just the way it is. It's ingrained in my head. Like Campbell Payton. Okay, got him. Yeah, cool. I, I, uh, and it's going to take some time. I'll get there. I'll get there. But I was opening doors for these people. And you know what they were doing? They were not saying thank you. They were actually cussing me. They were like, what's this guy doing? Weirdo opening the door for me. Because in London, people are weird, eh? Don't talk to anyone in London. If you talk to someone on the tube, smile at them. You know what they'll do? They'll follow you home because they think that you like them. But I started there. That's what I was doing. I was engaging with people one-on-one, -on -one, serving them, opening doors for them. And then he was like, do you feel that the church is clean? I was like, why do you keep asking me these questions? Is the church clean? Do you feel welcome? What else? So we started going around the church. And you will be surprised at what people don't notice about the mess they've left. Drink cans spilled on the floor. Used tissues. Chewing gum stuck under the seat. Just as a starter. And you'd say to someone else, can you see the mess? But to the servant, you're like, oh, this place is filthy. So I'm having to do that. And then I got to the point where 
I then was, we started a new service. And so I built a 60-strong volunteer group just for that service, and we were filling the place with servants. It was great to be in the house of God at that time. And then came this opportunity where the senior pastor had a role where you got to walk with him for a year. His name was Colin Dye. The church is called Kensington Temple. It's Elam's biggest church right across the world. And it was a great privilege to be part of that and to get to go and work for Colin Dye for a year. I was like, yes, finally my service has paid off. 18 months of being faithful in the house of God. I'm going to get my chance. And he, even in the interview, Gabe, I don't want someone who's just going to stay for a year. Will you stay for three years? I was like, I can't believe my luck. This is amazing. Do you know Colin is traveling all over the world? He's speaking at the biggest conferences all over the world. I will get to go and meet all of the mighty men and women of God that are alive right now. It's going to be amazing. And I was like, yes, I'll get the job. I'll take the job. First day at the office. That's your desk. Okay. When are we going to meet famous people? When are we going to do miracles? When are we going to see amazing stuff? Get me a cup of coffee. Six months in, what was I doing? Coffees, teas, lunches, breakfast, cleaning the car, ironing shirts, sitting in meetings to take notes. Colin, when is this going to start getting serious? Because I'm a chemistry graduate. You need to recognize the gift of God upon my life seriously. Year in. Colin, when am I going to get to travel anywhere? Um, pick me up at the airport. I'll see you there. Colin, <laughs> I'm halfway through, and I've not done any traveling yet. I've said three years, but I've done nothing in 18 months. What are you doing? And then he was like, okay, you can come and hang out with me. And I'm like, yes, finally, I've got there. And do you know what traveling with Colin was? Carrying the cases, putting them in the car, making sure his shirt was ironed for the preach, making sure dinner was on the table when we got back to the hotel, making sure everything was sorted out, people that you know, would come, and long list of issues, I'd be like, okay, we can find another pastor over there to help you with this. For three years, I served and served and served and served and served and served. And you know, four months of the year, we'd be out of town. So I'd be traveling four months of the year, sounds great, but hotel rooms get boring. You never do any of your own laundry. Your place starts to stink because you haven't cleaned it for a few weeks. And then you've got no mates because you're always out the country. Oh, my goodness. Just This is not a good reference point, but I used to do six days a week, 60-hour weeks, every week, done it for 15 years. Standard. Three years, which became eight years. And after eight years, Gabe, you've been with me enough. Can you go and lead the Bible college? Oh, sure. Can I go get a degree or something? No, I need to start leading it today. And also, can you, by the way, run the church while I'm not here? That church of 5,000 people. Yeah, that's you. Uh, okay. <laughs> so eight to 16 years. So I've done 16 years of service. The first eight was serving Colin. Then the next eight was still serving Colin, but with all the other stuff. Because I'm not officially his assistant. I mean, he would even now call me up and say, can you come do this for me if I was in the country? Uh, but I'm thankfully thousands of miles away. <laughs> um, I would willingly do it. But I'd be like, Colin, why are you calling me? I needed to go clean my car. But Colin, I'm about to lecture 50 Bible school students. What are you talking about? Yep, when you're done with that, go do the car. Now, a lot of people would be like, Gabe, hey, that guy sounds like he's too much. What are you on about? But for me, I would not trade 
a moment of the training that I've had in becoming a servant because I believe it's part of pre preparing me for who I could be in the future. And I was able to run a Bible college just by sitting and serving this guy. I took us through level four and level five accreditation. So that's first year, second year university without any biblical qualifications. People are assessing us like, wow, this stuff is real good. Where did you come from? Yep, just listening. I've just been listening. Just been being discipled. Just been learning on the job. Because servanthood's sacrificial. Now, hey, listen, I've, I've could, I'm going to have to find a way to trim, but I'm just trying to share me with you as well. Um, but Katie was such that we would have five services on a Sunday, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Tuesday night training, Thursday night youth thing, Friday night youth thing. So lots of stuff going on. I calculated, if you were 80 in this room, and you had sat in church every single Sunday, one service for the whole of your life, I've still been to church more than you. I've been to church enough to fill over 100 years of going every, once a week every year for the whole of your life. I'm 40 next two weeks' time. Because service is a sacrifice. It's about being consistent. It's about being where God has given you, called you to be and doing what God has called you to be. And it's not necessarily that you need to become a minister. Please, actually, don't hear me as saying that you need to come and join the pastorate to be a, uh, an effective servant. No, please go be a pastor in your workplace. Please go be an evangelist in your home. Please go and make a difference with the, the colleagues and friends that you spend time with. So first, choose service. Second, prize who you get to be. And I think that's a big challenge for, for me and for all of us. I wonder if Joseph was prizing who he got to be. Because he's sitting there, he's like, I had these great dreams and aspirations. I was this big guy. My brothers were going to bow down to me. Now I'm in a prison in the middle of nowhere, hundreds of miles from where I live, in a different country. As God, has God lift, looked over me? But what was it that gave him a sense of value? Was it when he got charged? Was it when this beautiful woman was attracted to him? Was it when he got thrown in prison but got made the boss of prison? Where did he become who God was calling him to be? I think it was on the journey. And for me, what was fascinating on that journey of, of service was realizing that something began to change in me. I had been a person, I didn't tell you all these bits, but when I'm walking around cleaning, I'm like, God, these people say thank you at least for what I'm doing for them. To the point my heart was changed where I was like, Jesus, what do we get to do together today? Is it cleaning? Is it going around someone's house and visiting them? Is it, is it getting to be a blessing to Colin? Is it getting to look after my family? What is the stuff that we get to do to be a servant? And God had changed me on the inside, so much so that I would be the one that was smiling while I'm serving. You know, some of the servants would be the ones, grumpy ones. You're like, can we take you off opening doors, please? Because you're scaring everyone when they come in. You know, that kind of thing. But God had so changed my life that I was now enjoying serving. Please see service as an opportunity to get to become who God is making you to be. In time, not today, in time, I'll be asking people to come and help us with volunteering in the house of God because we all need volunteers. But please don't hear me say that as I need someone to fill a roster. What I'm interested in is if you want to commit to becoming who Jesus is creating you to be. Do you want to cultivate a servant nature? If so, we've got opportunities. Dream team, cell group, life group leaders, um, prayer team, the home visitation, the prison ministry, the uh, the, the elders, people who visit people in the home, hospital visits, all of that great stuff that we need lots of people getting involved in, but I'm not interested in filling the roster. I'm interested in seeing you say, you know what, Jesus, I want to become a servant. I want to lay hold of the purpose and destiny, the greatness you have for me, and I know that I need character transformation for that to happen. It's a humble place to be, but it's a real place to be. Let me just talk into this little space for a while. 
we've got problems as a church with understanding that we're called to service. First up, we struggle. We go through situations and circumstances and we say, God, why are you doing this to me? Instead of asking, God, what are you doing in me through this? Any situation where you have an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness is an opportunity to lay hold of your destiny and future. But Gabriel, you know, I'm, I just heard what you said, six-day week, 60 hours a week, you're crazy. I'm not, work-life balance, please, work-life balance. I've got my 40-hour week, and then I've got my 20 hours I spend renoing my own home, and then maybe I might give you a little bit to come to church. Ouch. I just touched someone's holy cow. I built a deck. Enjoyed that Kiwi rite of passage while serving in the house of God. It's possible to do both. It might seem like a crazy mystery, but it's possible. Um, and the issue is this. Gabe, we need healthy boundaries. Yes, we need healthy boundaries. Gabe, we need to look after our families. Yes, we need to look after our families. Gabe, we need to have, um, look after our health. Yes, we need to look after our health. All of those things are true. But if we want to live... God's purpose for us, we need to make our priority becoming servants of God in everything that we're doing. Workplace, serving, at home, serving, in the community, serving as part of our nature. This is a bit of a different message to what the nine o'clock got. See, the nine o'clock were laughing with me. And so they got a nice message. If you want a nice message, laugh with me or laugh at me. Whichever way around, it's up to you. No problem. You know, for me, the most important thing that we do as servants is the limit is this. We don't normalize abuse. We don't normalize physical, emotional, mental abuse, okay? But there is a lot more room for growth in everyone's life. We can give sacrificially. For some people, once a month might be sacrificial because you've got family stuff going on and you've got other work responsibilities going on, and that's great. That's sacrificial. But for others, it might need to be once a week. For others, it might need to be every day. How am I serving every day? Because for me, and maybe it's true for you, I only grow in the place of stretch. I only grow when I'm under pressure. I, if I'm just living the dream, I don't grow. But I want to become more like Christ. And so it's when I'm tired and exhausted and then someone special comes alongside, want to give me some feedback on a message. I have to choose to keep Christ-like in that moment, even if I'm exhausted. And then I get to grow. Same with all of us. We get to grow when we're in that place of stretch. Um, so, we'll get there. So first one, choose service. Second one, embrace or celebrate who we get to be, become. Third, this is, this is my hope for you, is that you'd see that God never forgets you. It's true that God will never forget you. Sometimes we are afraid of serving because we're like, oh, if I take the low road, but I have ambitions, but I'm taking the low road, but I want to be a great star, what is God doing? God will never forget you. I can guarantee. I had this amazing experience. Um, so part, I've told you my great job that I had where I got to drive a lot. You know, what was a real blessing about that is one time he had to buy a new car, so I chose the car. And everyone was like, what did you pick? And I was like, well, I've got to drive him. So, so it was an Audi S7. It could fly. So I'd driven Colin to his um, uh, preach where he was preaching for TBN. Have any of you ever heard of TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network? I know we've got Shine TV here in New Zealand. The rest of the world has TBN. 
just so you know, okay? It's a Christian network that's across the world. And uh, we went, he was going to preach for them. So I drove into the meeting. I sat in the corner. I had a coffee, black. No one even asked my name. That was it. Sat there. Two weeks later, Gabe, we want you to come and make TV. You want the boss to come make TV, not me. No, no, we want you to make TV. You want Colin to come make TV. You must be emailing the wrong guy. No, no, we want you to make TV. He's like, you serious? I was like, Colin, they want me to make TV. Shall I? He's like, yep, go for it. I was like, okay, but Colin, you first, not me, because you're the boss. I'm not the boss. You first. 18 months later, that gave him still too busy. You go for it. So I call up TBN UK. I'm like, do you still want me to come do that? And so they fully funded three series of a series called Embracing the Challenge, broadcast across the UK, Europe, and Africa for free. What was I doing? I drove a car to a meeting. God can do incredible stuff. You might be sitting there one day, you're like, oh, he's missed me, he's forgotten about me. All I did was drive a car to a meeting. What might happen for you? You might be the person that smiles when you're walking down the street of Dunedin. They're like, hey, you look like a happy person. We need to talk to you. Might be the door that opens for you. So third, God will never look, never forget you. But for me, one of the great things was that I didn't, it was great privilege, but I didn't need it. I love doing it, but it didn't define me because I'm a servant. That's me. So finally, trust that the Father has your future in his hands. The story ends with Joseph getting elevated to the place of prominence in Egypt. He sees them through a famine. He does great things. And an amazing uh, story of survival eventuates. I wonder if he jumped at this opportunity. We see that there are other times when he had been pushing for it. He pushed for it when he interpreted the dreams of the brothers, of, of the baker and the wine taster. Let Pharaoh know who I am. But this other time, what happens? They go, oh, there's a guy in there. There's a guy in prison. Call him. He'll help. He didn't seek it out. It happened. Now, I'm at all, not at all equating myself with Joseph, but I do take encouragement from this. I moved to Wellington two years ago. I called up Rick Knott, who's the pastor of Elim Wellington, Elim International Church. I said, Rick, I'm in town. I am coming to serve you at your church. Whether you pay me or not, I'm going to come and serve you. He's like, looking at me like, Gabe, what? Church of 5,000, why are you coming to serve me? Just take another church. He's like, no, I'm coming to serve you. Two years sat serving Rick Knott until he handed on the church to Boyd Ratnaraja, the good-looking, bald-headed guy you saw in the video before, okay? He's open about his care opportunities. And I'm serving there, and I'm serving there, I'm serving there. My future is in God's hands. That's what I, I knew I know. And then one day, I'd met Adam eight years ago. We'd had a great time in London. He'd come to visit, and we'd gone for lunch together. Great Chinese food. I know Adam loves curry, but I introduced him to great Chinese food. Please, can you import some great Chinese restaurants to New Zealand? Um, and calls me up and says, Gabe, do you want to come and lead Elam Dunedin? Yep. Let's go for it. Why? Because we prayed about it. And I believe God was calling me to do it, to come and serve. I wasn't pushing for it. If you want to know what kind of leader I am, I'm a servant leader. 
I'm someone who will get involved and get alongside and do whatever you need to, whatever we're doing to get things done. That's, that's me. I'm not coming here to be a big song and dance leader. I'm coming to get alongside people and show each individual what the, who they're called to be in Christ Jesus. That's what I'd love to do. That's what my heartbeat is for. I said to you at the beginning, it's not just good to call out greatness, uh, to, be, to desire greatness yourself, but it's our privilege to call out greatness in one another. And I believe I'll finish with this text. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, was, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to challenge you. Every one of us is called to be a servant. Come join me. Come follow me as I'm following Christ. We're called to imitate Jesus together. We're called to take on that servant-hearted nature together. You know what? People can and will take advantage of you. But you are powerful. You make the choice to serve regardless of how people are going to treat you. You make the choice to be a blessing regardless of how people might interpret your blessing. You choose. Don't wait for them to set the tone on your life. You choose to become a servant. And for me, I think that that speaks to the core of the kind of church I'd love to be a part of. You know, some people come to church, and we know the problem, consumer Christianity. I like the message. I like these outfits they wear. I like the songs. I like how short the service is, not even Dunedin. <laughs> I like uh, the people. They seem very happy. But then along comes that moment of test, and, oh, I didn't like the way he said that. Oh, they asked about tithing when it came to giving. Oh, and we get all uppity about things. See, that's not Jesus. We need a church that is Jesus, that is service-minded. This is our home. This is our fano. These are the people we get to serve, not have to serve. These are the people we get to minister to, and there might be people that we're bringing in that we get to be a blessing to. That's the kind of Jesus that I would love to see us become. It involves us committing to a process of, of choosing service. Let me pray. Father, I want to lift up every single one of your children here. We know that we're all on a journey, and some amazing servants in the house of God have already dedicated their lives, and others are just beginning that journey and just exploring what it could look like to be a blessing to someone else. Father, I thank you that you begin to speak to us about the privilege and joy of being a servant, because we get to serve others. We get to be a blessing to others. And in that, we get to imitate Jesus. And Lord, I want to lift up every person that's just right now wrestling with identity, wrestling with contribution, wrestling with purpose and with destiny. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you do something in them, that they would choose service, that they would choose Jesus in that space, and that they would find, Lord, that there's such fulfillment in being in your plan, such fulfillment in serving according to your will, such fulfillment in getting to be a blessing to people around, such an opportunity each moment of interaction with someone else to see Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you do something so great in our midst. 
We're grateful. We're looking forward to the future that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for your grace this morning. Great to be with you and great to encourage you. And we'll have more time to share over the coming weeks. Adam's with you next week. I'm with you again in a couple of weeks' time. As I mentioned, Tony Pantel and then Rachel. So we're looking forward to just journeying with one another. I'd love to get to know your story. I'd love to hear what God's been doing in your life. We'll have fun together someday, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, let that word sit with you. I feel it's a real challenge for us that we were called to a fresh um, engagement with what God is doing. 16 years I was a servant, but I continue to be a servant now. I'll be serving you here in the house in Elam, Dunedin. Bless you. Thank you so much.